from Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Australia's closest neighbour, Papua New Guinea, is on the verge of a COVID-19 crisis. Case numbers have doubled in the past two weeks and thousands of people in the country are now infected, pushing the local health system to the brink. To try and contain the outbreak, new isolation measures have been announced. Concerns about COVID-19 spreading to high-risk communities in the Torres Strait have led the Australian government to restrict travel from Papua New Guinea. Today, the Saturday Paper's world editor, Jonathan Perlman, on the danger facing Papua New Guinea and whether it can be avoided. Jonathan, what kind of impact has the pandemic had on life in Papua New Guinea up to this point? Because it's this country that's close to places in the Pacific that have had very few cases of COVID-19, but it's also close to Indonesia, for example, where tens of thousands of people have died. So what's it been like for Papua New Guinea? So the first cases in Papua New Guinea arrived around the same time as they were starting to arrive in Australia and across the Pacific. It was it was back in March. I think the first case was a mine worker from Australia who was working in PNG and had been holidaying in Europe. And there were sporadic cases after that, but Papua New Guinea quickly moved to contain the outbreak. There was a lockdown and it was effective. And the virus was largely under control for about eight or nine months with occasional flare-ups. But then things started to change very quickly. Now, to uh, closer to home, Australia's been doing incredibly well on COVID-19 and much of the Pacific has been as well. But unfortunately, cases have surged in recent days in Papua New Guinea. And in February, the number of cases and community transmitted cases started to rise. Just over the last month, and I'd say just the last week, uh, things have uh, become really concerning in Papua New Guinea. The current surge in numbers is believed to have been exacerbated by the two-week mourning period that's occurred recently across the country for Sir Michael Samara, who died in late February. A full house to farewell a grand chief. Gifts from some of... He was the first Prime Minister of PNG, served as Prime Minister for years, was an independence leader um, and have been multiple different funerals and events for him. We pray to long repose, long soul, long Sir Michael Thomas Somare. By God, he can welcome him. But health experts were trying to get the government to cancel a state funeral, and the government didn't. Thousands packed the stadium and even more gathered outside. People were asked to wear masks, but few did. And since then, really, the virus has just taken off. Papua New Guinea is facing a major crisis as it's hit hard by COVID-19, with five people dying in just a 24-hour period. And now the country is facing a devastating situation that could completely overwhelm its health system. Right, okay. And so how many COVID cases are we talking about here? What are the figures? Look, officially, Papua New Guinea has recorded over 2,400 cases as of last week. 
which sounds quite low for a country with a population of around 9 million people. But the problem is that the country has one of the world's lowest testing rates. So Papua New Guinea has conducted 55,000 tests. Just to compare, Australia has conducted more than 15 million tests. So we really don't know exactly how widespread this epidemic is in Papua New Guinea. And there are concerns that actually rates might be staggeringly high. Uh, But one thing we are very concerned about is that we have major concerns now about what is happening in Papua New Guinea. Uh, And those concerns really were increased last Monday when Queensland's Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk revealed that the state health authorities had conducted some testing for Papua New Guinea. We have been uh, assisting with some tests in Papua New Guinea and out of the 500 tests that our health authorities have done for Papua New Guinea, 250 have come back positive. So this is a real concern. That really triggered alarm in Australia, but it also triggered alarm in Papua New Guinea. Uh, Given our close proximity uh, to Papua New Guinea, I do think it is something that we need to be very serious about. And since then, it's believed that daily case numbers have continued to rise. Mm, Okay. And so what is the impact of all of this then on Papua New Guinea's health system? Because it sounds like it must be under significant pressure. Yes. So Papua New Guinea has a desperately underfunded and poorly resourced health system that is ill-equipped to deal with a serious COVID-19 outbreak. The country has about six doctors per 100,000 people. Just to compare again, Australia has about 370. I was born in Australia, but I've been in PNG since the 60s. I have 50 years of um, medical experience and standing in the community. Um, Glenn Moller, who is head of obstetrics and gynaecology at Port Moresby General Hospital, which is the country's biggest hospital, has said that 20% of pregnant women who are, who are turning up to the hospital to, to be admitted to its labour ward have tested positive for COVID-19. We're getting about four or five positive um, patients a day now. So now we're at, the, we're at the phase of this epidemic where we're in the exponential um, upsurge of it. And uh, our- Mary Begita, who's also an obstetrician and gynaecologist at Port Moresby Hospital, said that last week they had three caesareans booked in on one day and all three of those women turned out to be COVID-19 positive. And the third one, she's quite unwell. She's needing respiratory support. So both mother and baby are not doing well and, you know, we just had to sort of negotiate which to do, which was best for her and for baby. So we've... Yeah, some hard decisions to make today. The hospital staff are testing positive in large numbers. In the maternity ward, they're losing about 10 staff members a week, midwives, doctors and support staff. We're sort of stretched having to redo the roster like on a daily basis because we don't know who's going to be feeling sick and needs to go and be tested and then leave. We're sort of... Just keeping our head above water. Hmm. So the health system in Papua New Guinea, it's already underfunded and under-resourced and that's now being compounded by the outbreak. 
placing it under extra strain. So can you tell me what all of this means for Papua New Guinea? Would you call it a crisis? Yes, it's a disastrous situation for Papua New Guinea. Doctors like Glenn Moller are fearful that hospitals will have to shut their doors because they just won't have enough staff to care for people. We're just so concerned that we'll get down to levels, um, which we don't really know yet. What I mean, if we get down to 50% of our workforce, can we keep going? Um, probably, Possibly not. And then what do we do? Moller says that the more than 50 women who present for pregnancy care every day may end up having to go home, which will put them at great risk. And the same goes for all the people who are turning up to the hospital for life-saving treatments. He's genuinely worried that people will end up dying in the car park of the hospital. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at what point do we... Is it just people will just collapse with exhaustion or not come to work because they can't cope anymore? And at that point, well, you just close the doors, don't you? And then there'll be chaos, of course. So it's a truly dire situation. And experts and doctors like Mola have been putting pressure on Australia and other countries to help. So that's why the vaccine is so important for us to um, immunise our, our, our frontline health workers as soon as possible. We'll be back in a moment. The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. Jonathan, the government in Papua New Guinea has been asking Australia for support. So what has our federal government announced in response? Well, good morning, everyone. I'm joined by Minister Payne and Minister Seselja, the Minister for the Pacific. Of course, joined Yes, so the first thing that the government in Australia announced was that they were scaling back flights from Papua New Guinea into Australia to try to contain the spread of the virus in Australia. Now, it is also true that the escalation of issues with the virus in Papua New Guinea presents very real risks to Australia as well. This is a matter that... And then responding to calls to get vaccines to Papua New Guinea... Our government will also be moving immediately uh, to gift 8,000 doses of our COVID-19 vaccine stocks. Morrison announced that Australia would send 8,000 doses of the vaccine to the country. They will come from Australia's supply. But in addition to that, Australia plans to source a million 
doses from the AstraZeneca supply that it's contracted to receive, it's going to send a million of those doses to Papua New Guinea. We've contracted them. We've paid for them. And we want to see those vaccines come here so we can support our nearest neighbour, PNG, uh, deal with their urgent needs in our region. And we'll be seeking... The... Australia's also sent a small team of doctors to Papua New Guinea this week to assess the situation. It's helping to set up some testing centres. It's providing more than a million masks, 200 ventilators and other protective equipment. They're our family, they're our friends, they're our neighbours, they're our partners. They have always stood with us and we will always stand with them. This is in Australia's interests and is in our region's interests. And it's incumbent upon us... So, Jonathan, is this going to be enough? Does it look like it will be possible to actually control the outbreak at this stage? Well, some aid groups have praised Australia's response, but others say that more supplies are going to be quickly needed. Uh, There are calls for at least 12,000 doses more to be sent to Papua New Guinea immediately so that its frontline health workers can be immunised. And getting the vaccines there is only one part of the solution. So the PNG government faces a monumental logistical task of distributing vaccines to a country. It's it's a difficult country to reach um, large parts of the population in. This is a country with more than 800 languages, with remote areas that have little road access, little, you know, no internet access, little communication access. So reaching parts of Papua New Guinea is going to be extremely difficult. And for months, health experts and aid groups have been warning that the national and state authorities in Papua New Guinea need to develop a plan for working together and coordinating the rollout. And there's no evidence that such plan has yet been developed. Right. And so while they wait for the vaccine, then what are doctors on the ground saying, people like Glenn Moller and and Mary Begita, um, what are they telling you about the situation at the moment? Mary says that staff numbers are dwindling and that they're losing more people every day. So we're left with six residents and registrars. We have about um, 17 registrars and we've had four who've needed to go in quarantine. And our consultant team of seven Um, Two of them are quite senior, so we sent them away. Glenn is one of the consultants who the hospital staff sent away. They actually sent me away because I'm 74. And they said, go and get vaccinated, yeah. At that point last week, there was no news at all about when our first lot of vaccine would arrive. People were talking about April. And there's really serious concerns about how quickly this could spiral. In the time it would take to get enough vaccines to Papua New Guinea and deliver them to the community, the virus could just keep spreading. The one saving grace at the moment is that the outbreak seems mainly confined to cities where younger people tend to live, the population's younger and and healthier um, and more able to deal with with an outbreak. As well, cities are, are where the better medical services are. But the fear is that this could get out of the cities into villages and remote areas where the bulk of the population is and where a lot of the population is older and more vulnerable. And that's when we could start seeing really rising numbers of deaths. All our our old people, our grandparents, 
are in the villages. So once this infection gets out into the rural areas, then it's going to be a disaster for um, all our grandparents. So yeah, we'll keep thinking of us in PNG, please, because we are a nearest neighbour, a couple of hundred metres um, north of the Torres Strait, and uh, we're not going away. We'll be your nearest neighbours forever. So I think it shows just how serious this outbreak is and explains why the Papua New Guinea government is so concerned about it and why countries like Australia are starting to respond. Jonathan, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Ruby. By Monday, there were over 3,000 cases of COVID-19 recorded in Papua New Guinea. 70% of people reporting to hospital with cold or flu symptoms have been testing positive. New measures have been introduced to curb the spread of the virus. Restrictions on travel around the country have been implemented, as well as caps on the number of people on public transport and at public gatherings. Those restrictions came into effect yesterday. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. Subscribe now at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. Also in the news, in New South Wales, nearly 20,000 people have so far been evacuated from their homes due to flooding. The mid-north coast of New South Wales is the most affected area and some regions have seen almost 900 millimetres of rain in six days. The floods have led the Insurance Council of Australia to declare an insurance catastrophe with more than 5,000 claims lodged over the weekend. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.